The World Cup has been and gone. Let's get back to what we love. It is the Fancy Football Surgery Podcast. Welcome back, one and all. It is a new season, just two weeks away at the time of recording after playing the farcical facade that is international FPL. We can finally get back to what we know and love with the beautiful game itself. Premier League season set to kick off. Um, first of all, welcoming back the Iceman. Thank you very much, Billy. It's nice to be back. Absolutely delighted to be back talking to you again about all things FPL. Last time we spoke to you, you were popping off to India and we uh, we neglected the, the listeners with the final two potential podcasts of the season. Uh, how has your summer been? Yeah, summer's been great, actually. I've uh, got engaged, I've bought a new car, bought a house at the start of the year, built a new bathroom, so it's all going well. How about yourself? Which of, you, which of those would you say is the the greatest achievement? I think the car uh, is definitely at the top. Yeah, yeah, outstanding. Yeah, yeah, just get the order right, James. <laughs> Sorry, I meant the engagement. The engagement. Yeah. She, she doesn't listen to this. She'll, she doesn't. She'll never, she doesn't care. She'll never hear it. Fantastic. So a busy, a busy uh, summer for your nice man. Yeah, very busy. Yeah, it's been good. How about yourself? I, uh, I also uh, got. Actually, I think I just got the house when we were finishing the last podcast. So I've just been spending the whole summer indoors building IKEA furniture. Oh, that's um, why I've never seen you. Yes, that's it. And thinking about my FPL team for this season, watching the transfers, which is exactly what we're going to get into in this podcast. But I need to welcome our guests uh, for the first pod of the season. And who better than a couple of guys that have joined us in the past? First of all, we welcome back FPL Stato. Welcome back, sir. Hi, fella. How are you doing, guys? Good to, good to be back. Good to have you, mate. Brilliant to have you back on board, Steve. We'll, uh, we'll come to you in a moment a bit about how uh, you've been getting on without FPL. But also, uh, somewhat of a podcast regular, uh, we welcome back Mika. Welcome, sir. Hi. Lovely to be here yet again. Yeah, great to have you back on board again. Some great contributions from both of you chaps and the times that you've popped up on the podcast before. Um, first of all, Stato, how have you been getting on with the void that is FPL during those summer months? I mean, did you commit to engagement or, or buying a ridiculously overpriced car or anything <laughs> like that? No, I didn't do any of that, I must admit. Um, but <laughs> I can honestly say I absolutely loved it. <laughs> it just gets, especially towards the end of the season, it just gets really intense. And if you're like me, you kind of start throwing logic out the window. And uh, that's definitely what I did last season. I was sort of, I was teaching around sort of five, six K for absolutely ages and then drifted to about 10 K. And then in the last game week, I just did some stupid stuff and uh, yeah, lost a whole lot of ranks. So I don't really want to talk about that. (laughs) um, We're in a state of denial. Yeah, no, definitely. But, um, you know, lessons learned. So, uh, so no, it's all good and feeling fresh and uh, glad the World Cup's out of the way, I must admit, and ready to go. I can imagine people saying to you, Steve, you look so much less stressed as it work, and you say, no, it's FPL, it's finished for the season. No, I don't admit that, because if I told them <laughs> that, they'd just think I was even sadder than they already know me. So, <laughs> Good stuff. Well, great to have you back on board. Mika, how about you? How have you been getting on without FPL? Well, we have a local season going on, so it's all about football for me, as I'm yep. doing the refereeing. So the summer has been pretty much run, running back and forth on the beach. 
Just hey, what, beach football or just, just running <laughs> on the beach? beach. <laughs> nah, the real, real football. As the Finnish leagues is going. And I visited the under-19s, European Cup, for example, and stuff like that. So We've got a professional referee on our hands here. We actually have. Oh, <laughs> I'm trying to think about a major World Cup decision that, um, that Mika might have an opinion on. What did you think of the, the VAR in the final? Uh, well, the handball situation is really debatable. I don't support the VAR, to be honest, at all. I don't like the system, and it needs improvements a lot. That's all I'm going to say about the VAR. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, that could be a long podcast. Yeah, if we spoke exactly. About. It's going to be a long discussion if I start that with could this. Be, and I don't want to cost you your refereeing license either, so let's move on swiftly from that one. But can you imagine VAR and how much more frustrating FPL would get if that was the case? Either way, um, although I'm not sat with him, I can feel the ice band burning daggers looking at me, asking me to get on with the podcast because the amount of editing he's going to have to do. <laughs> so, chaps, we've got a new season. Now, this pod, we're going to focus more on key topics for selecting your team at the start of the season. And the first issue we're going to get into is is gameplay. The big question being, is the game getting harder? Stato, do you want to lead us off talking a bit about this? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, the obvious thing is just manager numbers. So when you look at last year, at the beginning of last season, things were up about 25% on the previous year, which is obviously a massive jump. So that meant if you wanted to reach what was the top 10K in the season that Leicester won, you'd have to reach the equivalent of 8K, just purely based on numbers. And so right now, today, the amount of people signed up to the FPL game is about it's about 13%, 13% ahead of last year. You know, the game opened a bit earlier this year. So maybe we were, maybe we we're looking at about 10% rise on last year. So, so now that, that 10K in the, in the Leicester seasons sort of turned into roughly around 7K. Other things being equal, of course. So you don't know what quality of management's coming into the game. Now, lots of, lots of managers obviously join the game, you know, throughout the season. And I think that was down, to be honest, I think that was down to the, the game week prizes that they were doing. But they have changed the rules on that now. So you can't just sort of sign up with a random email address and, and you know, put forth a, a random team to try and win the game week and win the prizes. Now you've got to kind of be in the game for a few weeks before you can do that. But anyway, there's definitely other factors that are making the game harder for pro managers, as I call them. Or you could also call them managers that are just trying their ass off to win their mini leagues. And it's making it a little bit easier for the sort of casual style managers who don't really care so much and just sort of log on on a Friday lunchtime and make a couple of transfers on a whim so there's all the help you need now from fpl themselves if you if you're near the internet or twitter or whatever there's videos now there's transfer recommendations they brought out the free hit chip um last year which meant you don't need to plan so much and i'm noticing a lot more now on twitter there's so many more twitter accounts there's people writing articles left right and center there's patreon sites there's podcasts up the pod um, and there's more things like that, that you can shake a stick at. So, yeah, so I don't know what you guys think, but I think in, in general, it, it is getting harder if you're really trying to make a science of the game and trying to get yourself in the kind of upper echelons like the top 10K. Uh, definitely. In shortness, like Stato said, it, it's definitely getting harder. You can't pretty much hide anything anymore. As uh, like a couple of seasons ago, if you found a gem, so to speak, nobody else would find that before you. Now, it's almost impossible to find gems without someone else already shouting it on Twitter. Yeah, so actually there's a, there's a lot fewer secrets now and a lot more of a, as the community's grown, I guess so is the, uh, 
the knowledge base. And it's, I think that the, the thing you said there about the free chip, I definitely think that has made life a little bit easier because you're right, you don't have to plan so strict. I mean, the, the more you plan around it, I think the better, but you can kind of get away with one on those lesser game weeks. So it certainly sort of plays towards the perhaps the more casual player. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you can see what, you know, you can see what FPL are trying to do. They're just trying to increase manager numbers. They want to increase engagement, generally speaking, with the Premier League. And I'm sure, you know, you'd do that if you're in the same position. You wouldn't just make it a pure skill game because there'd be a lot of, you know, there'd be a lot of managers left behind. So there's just that much luck involved that it kind of keeps, they've got to get the balance right because they've got to keep the people who like the appliance of science involved and interested like us. And you've got to keep the kind of, random uh you know happy-go-lucky sort of players casual managers in, interested as well who who normally used to probably give up by game week three or four and now maybe go on a little bit longer and think oh i've got that free hit chip that might just uh, get me out of a pickle or whatever so yeah you can kind of see where it's going i just i just don't i'd rather they didn't go any further quite frankly yeah so uh, so by all means great to be inclusive but but stop giving the game away <laughs> basically uh, well, uh, the tools also uh, that people are using for FPL now is also really causing the bandwagons to be seen much earlier than they used to be. If you think, think about gaining ranks, it means you have to buy players that are going to do well early. Now it's almost impossible to buy players early because people are using those tools and they see the bandwagons rising and people are going to recognize the players that are going to do well. Yeah, that's the thing. You can kind of wait on uh, some players to actually hit form and then get them, can't you? It's not like you could just jump on those pre-form. There's not actually that much benefit to jumping on those, uh, you know, those risky picks until they actually do hit form. Okay, well, let's let's start thinking about how we're going to go about doing this then. So, Mika, in terms of gameplay this year, what what are the main things you're going to be doing and taking advantage of? Uh, yeah, well. Uh, I have always been a really cautious player and uh, risk man- management is really big part of my game. Uh, I follow polls and uh, from t- different sides and always try to own at least the top three candidates uh, from captain polls for every game week. Uh, as if, if you pick the captain poll leader for every game week, you will have a small movement in overall. Uh, if your team is or otherwise is well built, uh, you will... Uh, climb the ladder, ladder slowly. If you own the players from the captain ball leader, uh, captain poles, you won't get big drops either. Uh, some say this is really boring boring way of playing, but I, I enjoy the process. Yeah, I suppose it's just the, the managing of the risk, like you say. With a player like Salah, who's 50% owned, if you don't own him and he scores well, you're just going to drop, aren't you? And that's the key uh, about playing the game, is trying to manage every risk and trying to minimise the risk as much as possible. For example, getting in like a promoted player at the moment is going to be a risk because we don't know how good and how well they're going to play in the league. So it's always going to be more of a risk than getting someone who's tried and trusted. Yeah, what, what do you think about this, Stato? No, I agree with Mika. I think if, yeah, I mean, the captaincy chip in general is such a decisive one because it can carry you through some weeks, especially when your team hasn't done anything special, or it can make you drop like a stone if you try and get too clever uh, and go against the grain. So, like he said, I think it's important to pay attention to the captain poll. I, I, I would rather not deliberate over it because I just find it a real uh, head fuck, and I'd rather just pick the most popular <laughs> captain and stay with him. That being said, you know, there was a time in the middle of last season where slowly but surely sort of the more pro, manager, pro managers were, were peeling off Kane and going on to Salah. 
and and the ones that that were a little bit late to the game with Salah and captaining him really suffered because he just kept banging in braces and you know you found yourself 20 30 points behind where you should have been within a couple of game weeks but yeah generally speaking I, th- I find it easier just to play safe and focus on getting an edge through through other means to be quite honest what are your guys' thoughts on like the uh, the fixtures and form thing at the moment? Obviously, we can't really tell much on form because of pre-season. But what 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 would you think throughout the season would win over the other? Do you do you play much on on fixtures and form, or yeah, either one or the other more than the other? Well, well, at, at the start of the season, it's impossible to say who is good and who is bad. So you can't really trust the fixtures either. You just have to. Do it. <laughs> To be honest, a, a guess who is good. So you, you can't read the fixture list too strict. Uh, overall, over the season, I, I have always been fixtures over form type of guy. I have planned so so long ahead that I like to play with the fixtures. And of course, I'm going to own the form players, but still, I'm, I'm more of a fixture over form guy. Yeah, I think it's a funny one because fixtures are obviously the future and form is... The- Formers in the past, and my take has always been not to get um, is try not to get too sucked in by the fixture difficulty rankings on on the FPL website. and And I put a tweet out a couple of weeks back with the entire season's chart of fixtures because I knew some people found it helpful. But actually, last season I found myself getting drawn into it too much and worrying about fixtures far too much and kind of almost throwing form in the bin. Um, and it's too easy to sort of base everything on it because. The other thing is they rarely update it and, and they don't consider home and away form, which I later realised was, was a major factor because when you look at expected goal stats from some teams, they have a really split personality at home and away. So, <clears throat> for example, Arsenal averaged 2.3 expected goals at home, which was the second highest in the Premier League, but only averaged one playing away, which was a, you know, a major difference. Sure. Uh, New, Newcastle conceded twice as much XG away from home and Burnley were the 18th worst team at home for producing for producing XG so in attack but away they were the eighth highest so um, you know in FPL terms you might you might have had Barnes or Wood or someone like that and conventionally you think oh well I won't play I won't play him away I'll put him on the bench but actually that's the wrong way around in, in Burnley's case so I think you've got to be prepared to give up your prejudices as well um, because trends do change, especially after the Christmas break and the, the sort of transfer window in January. So, for example, Palace, they ended up with the fifth best attack on XG stats in the Premier League from Christmas onwards, whereas Man United plummeted from, I think it was fourth, down to 12th. So it's something, bear- something worth bearing in mind. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to um, add to that. I think um, I've been drawn into fixtures in the past, but I think there was a few quite good examples of when players become kind of favourable regardless of fixtures. That was of Mares last season, went on that run where just seemed to be able to score or assist against anybody. But you're talking about Burnley there again. Burnley defence. There were times where I think we we didn't back them on the podcast, and actually they turned out clean sheets. So I I do think there's a lot to be said for form, and I am quite a fan of. When, especially when a more of a world-class or a top-class player is in form, looking at that over particular fixtures. Definitely. And I think what what happens is after a decent number of game weeks, patterns start to emerge. And every season, there's always a couple of teams who just, they just exceed their XG. They just, every chance they get, they seem to put away. Um, and players as well. So, for example, um, Salah was, was a brilliant one for that, you could have guessed. Uh, Vardy tends to do that very, very well. 
He puts away difficult chances. Burnley, I mean, if you actually looked at the at the kind of chances Burnley, sort of the XG Burnley concede, it's it's dreadful. But they, in reality, if you look at the detail, they they concede a lot of that from outside the box, and they block a lot of shots. And the devil's in the sort of detail with how these teams set up their their teams and how they play. So I think if you pay attention to that, you can you can really understand what it means when a certain team plays away to another team who plays in a certain style at home. So, for example. Yeah, Vardy uh, is a really good example. If you think football uh, in uh, tactical, or, or if you think football tactical aspects, Vardy doesn't score when the uh, opposite team is sitting deep, uh, deep. But when they are trying to attack against Leicester and Vardy gets space behind the defense line, then he will score. Pretty much Vardy always scored against those hard teams, hardest fixtures, but he didn't score against those Bournemouths or some other bad teams. Which he was supposed to score. Definitely, yeah, he excels against the sort of high press opposition, doesn't he? Because he can find holes in the defence when they've all pushed up to the opposition half. Okay, let's move on to um, yeah. So I think there's some really good points there about generally playing the game that we can keep in mind um, and the mindset. Promoted teams and new signings. So a lot of new faces coming into the league, new teams as well. Um, I, I'm not. I think you know Warnock's done a brilliant job with Cardiff. I've got to say I'm more excited about Wolves and the signings they've made as well as Fulham just today, securing Mawson uh, and Mitrovic up front. Let, let's just dig into the sort of the, the new faces in the Premiership. Mika, I'll come to you first of all. How do you feel about kind of promoted teams or anybody new coming in the Premiership? And any thoughts on them? Well, overall, if we start about uh, the promoted teams, uh, uh, I think uh, I saw stats from Twitter, I think it was Afbil Stack. I'm going to give the credits to him, that she, uh, he showed that uh, promoted teams score 39% less goals and concede 62% more goals on average. That's absolutely huge, huge if you think about it. Yeah, and it's it's really hard to know with the promoted teams who's going to who's going to do well. So it's it really is like trying to find a diamond in the rough. And if you if you think about this time last season, you know, we were talking about the teams coming up and we could probably pick out eight, nine players that might have done really, really well. And, you know, potentially we're going to we're going to be the gems. And really out of all those, I don't know, who could you name that really came out and did well? Gross. Murray, maybe. Gross Gross is from like a totally different league. He's not from the championship, is he? Yeah, he was was brought in, I guess. Murray's tried and uh, tested in the premiership as well. So I suppose it's those championship players like the likes of Yotta, who a lot of people might be thinking about that. They're not proven yet, so they may become uh, an ince where... They just don't get any goals or assists, don't score Oh, he had a nightmare. He had a nightmare. He just couldn't convert. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's part of the problem is they, they come up to the Premier League and they they realise very quickly, they they know they're not going to be able to play the kind of expansive football that they're used to playing where they bang in, you know, 70 goals in a season and they find themselves thinking, well, if we try and attack, we're just going to lose. So they sit deep and they try and eke out results and quite a lot of the time, you know, it sends them back down again. Yeah, uh, and if we talk about uh, especially wingers from championship like Inns, Knockard, players like that, I think especially those type of players uh, suffer a lot after the promotion as they thrive from one-on-one, uh, one-on-one situations. And I think 
uh, they uh, they really they have a hard time adapting as the defenders are really really uh, better than in championship. Yeah, I think it's it's a big step. I, that's one of the big things you see if you watch any of the highlights programs between championship and Premiership or any full games. The difference in defending is quite marked in both, and the kind of the sloppiness of the goals conceded. Um, I agree with what you're saying about Knockart there last season, expecting a hell of a lot more from him. Um, we'll talk more specifically, I think, about players as we go through, as there are a few from the championship, I think, do maybe hold good potential. Um, Iceman, do you want to say anything more about promoted teams, or do you want to talk a bit about new signings? Well, I suppose if we if we just discuss the new signings and the ones worth talking about, I mean, like we we're trying to do this pod where we try and stay away from the names which um, you're just not really thinking about for your FPL teams, and mm. uh, not really go there because we could list a few players from all these promoted teams and the new signings, and we could go on and on all, all night, but it's not really going to help us for our team. So it's kind of looking at the signings which are actually an option. For example, at Man City, you've got Mares. Maybe at United, there's a new right back, Dalot or Dallo. Uh, obviously, Spurs haven't signed anything, which is great for Arsenal. Uh, Liverpool, you've got Allison, Shakiri, uh, Arsenal. You could maybe look at uh, Leno, depending on if he starts over Czech. Uh, Everton, Richardson is going to be one that, to look at. Leicester, Madison is attacking mid. He could be one to go for. Ones from West Ham, there's a few there in terms of Arman Wilshire. Yarmolenko and Anderson pretty good players there might be worth going for uh, there's Watford I suppose um, Delafoe has now moved there for good but I think he's a bit injured to start with if you're going towards the uh, promoted teams like Wolves uh, people are looking at Yota or Yota depending on how you say it excuse my uh, pronunciation on that and uh, Montinho as well uh, who's just moved there Fulham again Sari Mitrovic and Sherla and then you've got like the likes of Southampton and Vestergaard whether he's worth that five million and even that Brighton the guy who I can't say anyone want to give that a go Johan Bakash no, yeah that's the guy <laughs> so no, I just made that I have no idea if that's right <laughs> <laughs> there's there's quite a few uh, guys who, who you could potentially go for but again these are all elements of risk with any of these including Mares, who is probably one of the highest on that list is they're moving to a new club we don't know how they're going to fit in whether or not they're going to hit the ground running it's going to be a risk either way so like I said before it's like they're tried and trusted to the risky new players to the team I think um, the, the Mares move is probably it's going to be great for City but it's one of the most disappointing for me as an FPL lover because I just think it, it rules them out completely as an option unless they get a few injuries or it turns out he's more used in the Premiership because he would have been one of the first names on my team sheet. I suppose at the moment, with Sterling still being out from the World Cup, he could be an option to start with. It's just that you'll probably have to maybe remove him out because he could get rotated when Sterling's back. It's hard to guess, really, with him because he's he's more like KDB. Because, I mean, if you look at the player who created the most through balls in the Premier League last season was KDB. But in second place was Mares. So, from City's point of view, he's... Mares is the perfect guy to have as your backup for someone like KDB, but Mares is Mares is a winger, so I'm not quite sure what they're going to do with him. But you never know with Pep; it's just a ginormous merry-go-round now. And you've got you've got an emerging Bernardo Silva who's just going to get better. You've got Sterling and Sane as two of the best wingers in in Europe, let alone City. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's it's going to be frightening to play against, and they've got so much depth. Yeah, I think Iceman's right. Maybe in the first few weeks he might be one to bank on, but after that I'd just be a bit worried about his rotation. 
Yeah, at, at this point of the season, all, all of these new signings are pretty much just educated guesses. We can't know how they're going to fit in, how they're going to play and stuff like that. So it's really hard to analyze them. Yeah, I think you could, I mean, just going back to the promoted teams, I think you could safely say Wolves are by far the strongest team coming up. And they are maybe something slightly special in terms of, you know, teams of the past that have come up to the Premier League. I'd be surprised if they went straight back down again, definitely. But we'll see. I'm definitely going to wait and see, like Mika said. Mm. At least Bookers are backing Wolves to stay up. <laughs> they are putting Wolves on the Europa League spot at the moment. Oh, nice. Wow. That's a big statement. I mean, Patricio and Moutinho are good signings, but uh, I'm not sure if I put them there just yet, but you never know if that, that team gels. I mean, Neves had a great season for them last year and looks every bit of Premier League player already. I'm not sure if you saw some of his goals. No, I looked at Jota, and I mean, you know, we all know the eye test is a... It's a big deal, but I, I looked at him on YouTube, and I must admit, I wasn't really blown over by him. I mean, he, he kind of, I don't know, I, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that know exactly the sort of player he is, but he, he just looked like a kind of Richie sort of player, and, and, and it's purely because I got burnt by Richie last year. I just I just feel like I can't go there. <laughs> He's got some good stats, though, Yotta. I mean, he got 17 goals, 5 assists, and 51 shots on target last year. Yeah, that's high. good. Is he? Is he out of position this year? Is that yeah, right? so it's. I mean, it's said that Yota's meant to start up front, and he has been pre-season. Obviously, he's, he's down as a midfielder, six point five. He could be a really good option, but again, you've got that element of risk again, which you could probably take one of these players in your team, and at that price of six point five, I suppose it, it makes the, the risk a little bit less and just a little bit easier to go for. Yeah, definitely. You could throw one of them in there and see what happens. I'm really interested to see what you guys think of Ryan Sessegnon as an option. 6.5 in midfield, great season for for Fulham last year, pretty much nailed on to, to play. They probably had to guarantee him that to keep him. Um, looks really good going forward. I know he's played left-back a few times, but towards the end of last season, he was fairly consistently in that uh, left-wing spot next to Mitrovic, which was quite a nice combo. I'm really glad they've signed him. Um, he's currently actually in my team. I think he's pretty much nailed on to start. Lads, any, any thoughts on him? Well, I, I think Fulham gave, gave him a, gave him the middle finger of, from signing the Schürrle because Andreas Schürrle will play exactly the same spot, probably just in front of him. And now Sessegnon will have to play the left back. I don't think he will start if Schürrle plays in front of him. Mm-hmm. That's a fair point, yeah. Yeah, you've also got uh, Sari, who's just joined for them as well, probably pushing Kearney further forward as well. So, yeah. again, that kind of lessens his attacking potential. And at 6.5 for someone who you think is actually going to be at left-back, I, I just wouldn't go there. I mean, like, there's lots of potential there. It could happen. They've not got bad fixtures to start Fulham. But, again, another risk. And for someone who's a left-back, not not for me. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely one for the future and for your national team, but I don't think I wouldn't start him with with him. It's a fair point. Okay. Um, So, lads, we talked a little bit about some of the best players of the clubs coming up. Now, the Iceman's reeled off new transfers coming into the league. Is there anybody else you think, actually, do you know what? I really like the look of them. An example of that might be Felipe Anderson. I know he's coming into a West Ham team that's just gelling. Uh, They've looked pretty good pre-season, and Anderson... Got his fair shares of uh, goals and assists, partnering in Mobile for Lazio last year. Almost out of a similar mould to Salah, of course, who went from Roma to Liverpool last season. Can you see any value in him as a bit of a differential? I think if they can parachute 
players in and it works straight away, then that's fine. But, you know, you do see it quite a lot where it doesn't quite fit together and it's kind of a puzzle they need to solve over the course of the season or part of the season or whatever else. But there are the ones that shout out to me, which are kind of just making little minor tweaks, are players like Alisson uh, in goal for, for Liverpool because it's just clearly yeah, what they needed. And if you're prepared to give up one of your outfield spots for Liverpool in goal, then Alisson will probably, I think, easily give you 18, 19 clean sheets. They got, I think it was 17 last year. And it's hard not to think Liverpool, oh, they can't defend, but they are not the same team as they were. And I can I can quite easily see Liverpool keeping up with United with the number of clean sheets. And that is a weird thing to say. But I really think if you can give up one of your outfield spots, Alisson is your man in goal. But that is the thing about going for a keeper from a top club. It does take one of your uh, spots outfield. And I think yeah. with Liverpool, they've got so much quality going into their team at the moment. They've got a lot to come this year. And there could be so many points all over the outfield. So it could be a waste because you might be wanting to like triple up on the Liverpool attack or even like a defender who's got attacking potential. So for me, I think Alisson and even the likes of... Edison could be a waste of a spot because with a keeper as well, you kind of want to, you don't really want to change that position very often. You mm. just want to, it's like a set and forget thing, isn't it? And then you want to play around with your outfield team. And if you, if you pick Edison from the start, it will only be at your wild card where you'll have to change that. I mean, the count, counter argument to that is that you guarantee points because City have got the best fixtures to start off with other than the Arsenal game, first game. But kind of almost think, oh, there's guaranteed six points every game there. But in the long run, you do want to kind of use those spots to maybe bring in other decent players on the outfield. Yeah, I think it's a fair, fair comment, Iceman. Any any objections against that idea of perhaps having a lesser priced goalkeeper? I suppose we, we did have a question regarding this. I would just add, Richarlison is someone who we shouldn't forget. You know, he's been pulled yeah. into... Yeah, I'm going to mention him as well. Yeah, go ahead, because I think he he really under, underperformed last season. Had started off really well, but he faded badly. Yeah, it was just the first eight game weeks for him, wasn't it, where he, he did well, but then he just faded when things started changing at Watford. And hopefully now he's got that new kind of manager bounce where he has scored a goal already pre-season. He is in my team at the moment, but again, there is an element of risk there. It's just because Everton do have some pretty tasty fixtures to start off with. And with Zilva, he's probably nailed on. Well, at 50 million, you should hope so, shouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, he takes a lot of shots with Charleston. He's something like the fourth highest shot maker in the whole Premier League. And when you think that's somebody from Watford, you know, <laughs> all due respect, you know, that's that's somebody who's pretty hungry for goals. And you consider it's an Everton team that really struggled last year, so I can't see him anything but playing pretty consistently with Charleston. Yeah, absolutely. He, he is, even though he tailed off towards the end of the season, out of all the players, he's actually fourth for uh, penalty area touches out of midfielders. So that's above Sane, Hazard, Sanchez, Son, and Altovic even. So it, it does show he is in and amongst it, even though he didn't score many points towards the end. I'm just going to reel off this question regarding keepers. So Alex from our Slack channel is just saying uh, he's got a dilemma what to do with our keepers. What is the best option? Is it a a premium keeper and a fodder or is it a 4.5 rotation or is it a 4.5 and a a fodder? Like, What are you guys going with? What do you guys think is the best solution for keepers? Uh, Well, I have used always two 4.5 keepers just because of the risk management. 
uh, if one gets injured or gets a red card, I always have a backup and I don't have to use transfer. That is pretty much the only big reason I, I use to uh, to playing keepers. Yeah, I suppose that's the risk element again coming into it where you're just reducing the amount of risks to your playing keeper. Exactly, mm. exactly. But I have to mention while we're on this topic that uh, people don't <laughs> uh, talk about the uh, rule change about the triple punishment. Uh in short, uh, keepers don't get red cards enough, uh, or not not that much anymore than they used to used to get. As like two seasons ago, uh, keepers when they fouled the player that was uh, going to do a goal, uh, they got a red card. But now they changed the rule that uh, they will get only a yellow card and a penalty. So that will also uh, boost the premium keeper. Okay, mm. that's interesting. So yeah, I've been looking at, I was looking, sorry, I was just going to say, I've been looking at value for money because, as you said, we tend to play a long game with keepers, excuse the pun, and we hold them for most of the season. And what I did was I took the total points that all the keepers earned last season. And then to make it fair, I took off, I took off all the points for penalty saves because that tends to be a really volatile thing that happens to keepers. And I've then accounted for how many minutes they've played in case, you know, they're injured or whatever. And then I put that against their price for this season. So based on that, the top five keepers are Pope, Fabianski, De Gea, Hennessy, and Ryan. Um, so from that, I mean, the next thing you have to do is think about whether there'll be a big change in the number of clean sheets that their teams will achieve this season. And for me, I think West Ham can definitely outdo the nine clean sheets they had last season. And I think they should be aiming for around 12, 13 and that's why I think Fabianski is the best pick. Uh, and he's 4.5 million. And you compare him with another 4.5, just like Mika said. And for that, that would probably be Hennessy for me. Um, and that in the first eight game weeks, you can rotate them. And that will give you Fulham, Bournemouth, Watford, Wolves, Huddersfield, Newcastle, Bournemouth again, and then Wolves again. And I think in terms of fixtures, you know, that's a pretty sexy outlook. <laughs> yeah, that does sound good. I mean, I've gone for Fabianski at the moment, uh, but I've got Rui Patricio as well, just because I think both those keepers are going to start off well, and I think that they're probably going to go up in price as well. I've not necessarily brought into the rotation quite yet. That That is the risk about these 4.5 keepers. I mean, like last year, Fabianski probably scored the most points against the top team, so sometimes it is good just to play them against them. Mm. Yeah, I've gone for, at the moment, I've got Patricio, but I do actually have uh, Alisson in goal, just because I... I just fancy Liverpool's fixtures and them to get a few clean sheets, especially now Virgil's well-established at the back and Lovren, as he self-states, is one of the best defenders in the world. So I think that's guaranteed money as clean sheets go. <laughs> but uh, I just um, I like a higher-priced keeper as well. I've got to say, I was um, looking at De Gea last season. I think it was 18 clean sheets. The issue, of course, with him, though, is he doesn't always get bonus and United just don't really concede penalties for him to, to save. So... In terms of topping up what he earns in clean sheets isn't great, but you know, if you fancy it, I still think he's worth it at six million. 
Yeah, see, I, I mean, I looked at the um, keepers as well, the saves to points ratio, and obviously the more saves keepers are getting, uh, the more points they're kind of getting as well. And then I took a look at all the teams and kind of their total shots conceded last year, and you look right at the top there is Burnley with 570. That's, that's where Pope gets most of his saves and most of his points. But then you've got the likes of United are like you know, middle ground. That's why De Gea was so high up there. The, the correlation does work in terms of saves. I mean, what, what are your choices on this one then, Billy? Are, are you sticking with the uh, Anderson and uh, Patricio? Sure, surely Anderson will be a set-and-forget keeper for you. Allison. Um, Allison, sorry. Yeah, Yeah. No, I had a look at Wolves fixtures as well. There are a few in there that I fancy for them maybe to, to pick up a cleanly. I want to see how their defence holds out in the first few weeks. But Allison early on is my more favourable set-and-forget sort of thing. Don't you think um, it's a bit of a waste of uh, of having a four point five on on the bench? What in terms of in terms of a, a four million where you can uh, utilize that point five elsewhere? Yeah, I, I was caught out a few times last season where my cheaper keeper wasn't actually the rotation. So it happened a few I can't remember who, but there was a few times last season where my first keeper didn't play, and I went for a cheaper backup, and they didn't play either. So this season, I'm trying to learn from that and. I don't mind committing an extra point five. Okay, that's my. The thing. other thing that can really haunt you is if you do rotate and you get it wrong, you know, just because yeah, random random things happen, and it can get to you, and then you can think, you know what, I just I just want a premium keeper, and I can just forget about it. And it depends what sort of player you are in the game, but um, yeah, I think De Gea is. I think Allison will push De Gea for sort of the most points earned this season as a, as in the keeper category. I mean, it always assumes that you're going to use the money to better use elsewhere, you know, if you go for a cheaper keeper sort of thing. Hmm. You don't always do that, you know. Okay, well, let's, um, I think we've, we've covered sort of promoted teams, new signings pretty well. Let's move on to, we were talking there about bonus points with De Gea. Um, Mika, do you want to lead us into sort of just talking about bonus system players and who might benefit the most? Yeah, sure. Uh, the bonus system has stayed pretty much the same as last season. Uh, looking from last season, uh, bonuses, you can see a couple, a couple players that stand out. Sacco from Defenders is clearly the bonus point king. He got fourth most bonus points from Defenders and he played half the less minutes than the guys above him. Pretty much every time when Crystal Police kept a clean seat, Sacco was on bonuses. He's an absolute magnet. The other obvious point to make out is that uh, keepers, uh, as we talked about, uh, from mid-table teams that defended deep got the most bonuses as they got the most saves from uh, low XG shots. That's pretty much all I can say about the bonus nice. system at the moment from defenders and keepers. Okay. I suppose have you got any thoughts on, on big sort of potential bonus point players? I suppose you're looking at the, the likes of Firmino. I think he was the highest for yeah. strikers for the BPS baseline. That's where you can get a load of dribble points just here and there, just from the odd goal from Firmino. He just seems to score points because he links up play so well. So when you're picking a, it's like a striker or a midfielder, I think that you do need to look at this and kind of work out are they involved in the play as much for the likes of, say, Aguero? Not as involved as he was the year before, last year, in Man City's build-up. He's just kind of there, just on the end of things. And I mean, like, he still gets plenty of baseline bonus, but it's just not as much anymore. And you've got to think of the likes of some players which don't get any baseline bonus, like 
Nyase or someone like that because they just seem to get a couple of chances and then that's it it's, it's a goal I mean like Morata was so low on baseline bonus last year but if you're looking at a player try and check out what baseline bonus they've scored previously yeah I I think with when you when it comes to City you can't really count on any player really to hoover up all the points in terms of bonus just because the spread of goals is is so wide I think De Bruyne really is the only one that because he scores and he assists so many, he was the top bonus earner at City. And then the low-scoring teams, it tends to be either their regular goal scorer or a key guy in defence that hoovers up all the points. So if you look at United, Jones was the man for United. And if you look at, say, Leicester, Vardy was the guy. Vardy actually, I think he was third overall on bonus points. And I haven't drilled down into all the kind of reasons why he earned those, but you can imagine it's because Leicester, he quite often, you know, scored the winning goal. And uh, according to the bonus point system, you, you get heavily rewarded for that. So, yeah, I think there's sort of lots of reasons why these players get the points they do. It's worth definitely worth bearing in mind. It's, it's kind of like a stealth way to earn points. Nice. OK. Um, yeah, so I think we've, we've generally covered their bonus points. Uh, sort of in line with this, then, in our previous discussion about new players, what about gems that may be... Not everyone's announced on Twitter yet. Not everybody's looking at it. Iceman, do you want to lead us off on this? Yeah, I could do. There's one which Mika tends to disagree with me on this one. But I think maybe because of the World Cup, you're going to have some players which kind of come to the fore in terms of uh, Lamella seems to be playing. Lucas Moura seems to be playing as well in these pre-season. Okay. Whether or not the World Cup players are going to come back and displace them. But Iceman, can I just ask you, I will let you finish. I just want to ask you on that. In terms of can you, Yes, granted they've played in the World Cup. Can you see Poch doing anything else but Ericsson, Ali, Kane, Son rotation in their front three or four, whoever they play? To start with, yeah, I don't think that uh, Ali's going to start the season. And okay. also you've got the uh, the wing-backs, which I don't think is going to start either. He's, I mean, like, he's going to need to use his squad because they're going to be tired. And I don't think Kane should start the season. He could well do, and these players could well do. But again, they've had a busy World Cup. And whether or not they'll be rested, they haven't had any, any pre-seasons. So whether or not they're actually going to play very well. Kane hasn't played very well for a while. So I just think he's off the radar altogether. But my go, going back to kind of my, my possible gem is uh, looking at Man City. Obviously, Fernandinho went off to the World Cup with Brazil and Gundogan may be an option at 5.5 I'm not going there myself because I do think there is an element of risk to it and I do kind of want to hold off on uh, my wildcard as long as possible because you've got to have that in the back of your mind but if you're going for this type of risky type players which could be profitable at the start of the season which you may have to remove with your wildcard at the start of the season if you're planning on wildcarding early but I think Gundogan he has come up with a goal or two in the past when he has started and played some minutes so at 5.5 I think he could be a bargain to start with. Interesting. Mika give me your objections. (laughs) (laughs) Objections about Gundogan you mean? Yeah. So you are seriously buying a <laughs> CD boy <and> CD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on. Give me... but that is enough. <laughs> come on, CDM in the FPL. Yeah. CD. <laughs> you, can, you can buy Kante if he wants. He's come up with goals Excuse before. Okay. Uh, I, I can't see Gundogan as an option, unfortunately, as he plays so deep. Um, he's a central defensive midfielder, so seriously, I, I can't see him as an option. Are you going to hang your hats on that one, Iceman? 
I just think that he could be a uh, a sneaky one if you if you're willing to go for it. Obviously, you've got bigger balls than me because I am not going for it myself. But I'm I'm thinking he could be a hidden gem. Stato, what's your opinion on this one? Uh, I don't think so because <laughs> I don't think he I don't think he stands up physically. I think he gets injured a lot. He got four goals last uh, season out of fifteen starts. Yeah, that's fifteen starts. So when are you going to own him? You just don't know, do you? At the start of the season when uh, he's got that opportunity. That's true. If you think you're going to wildcard early and you want to throw in a few sort of lucky lucky picks like that, yeah, possibly. I suppose this moves us on to kind of the the other players which may benefit from the World Cup players coming in, like Lucas Moura and Lamella. What what are your thoughts on on those two? Or maybe even, say, Pedro may benefit because Willian and, and Hazard may be out. There are potential in that kind of price bracket. Yeah, I think Pedro is a guy, I mean, we can talk about this a bit more later with regards to Chelsea, but I, I think Pedro could be the standout pick for the season just because of the way Sari will, is likely to set up Chelsea, especially at Pedro's price, 6.5. He's going to be in the mix a lot, and there's no doubt about it, Sari likes to score goals. So yeah, I'd, I'd pick him out, and I would also pick uh, Trent, Alexander-Arnold, as long as he becomes nailed, um, which is looking likely, he is the cheapest way into the Liverpool defence. He's also attacking. He takes a free kick. And, I mean, I think early on, I think it's probably risky to pick him. But when you're taking your first wild card, I think you should pay close attention as to whether he's someone you should draft in. Everybody's trying to to look for these gems uh, at the start of the season. I just have to say that don't fill your whole team with these punts or gems or whatever you want to call them, as uh, you can be in a situation around game week three that you realize on Friday that, oh shit, like, four of my players won't even play this game week and I'm screwed. It's totally possible. And then you have to wildcard early. So maybe one, maybe two, but not, not more than that. Yeah, good that. Good shout. Yeah, uh, there's playing safe as well, isn't there? Um, I was just going to say on the Pedro issue, um, I, I think Chelsea looked very good in pre-season and everybody's singing the praises of Jorginho. And I think he's actually going to make all the Chelsea midfield attacking players a lot more favourable because he is going to be the one that's going to be disciplined, sits, and he can link a game up. So that's I think Pedro really is a, is a good option here. And I like the idea of Trent Alexander-Arnold as well. Lads, anyone else that we can add as gems to the ones that we've already mentioned? I think Barkley, depending on uh, what comes out, I mean... Uh, I, I this, like that shout. This, this charity shield which is coming up, it could be the, the teller of who's going to start in Chelsea's that top three there because Barkley could be playing in, in that midfield and I think that he could be a potential to, to come good. Obviously, he didn't get much game time last season due to injury, but he was playing quite well for Everton towards the end of his Everton career. And then he took the move to Chelsea the year after, but he was injured. So there's a lot of potential for him. And he's got he's always got like a brace or a few goals, a few assists in him. And in that Chelsea Sari lineup, the way he plays, yeah. I do think there's potential for points there. Yeah, it totally depends who can nail that so-called Hamzik spot from Napoli. Either Fabregas oh, or Barkley. Yeah, I don't think Fabregas... Is gonna. I, I just think he's 31 now, isn't he? And I just don't. He's not a match physically for Hamšík, who played the advanced role at Napoli. He averaged about eight goals and eight assists a season for the last four seasons. And I think, yeah, I think I agree with with Iceman. I think Ross Barkley could turn into 
a brilliant differential at only six million if he gets his chance. And there's there's also talk about Loftus Cheek. Will he finally get his chance? And he cut his holidays short to show he's determined to make his mark. So you know you never know. But um, one thing's for sure about Sari is that he and Napoli is that they scored a lot of goals. They averaged two point two goals per game, and that was after that's for the last three seasons. So yeah, I could I could probably go on forever about about Chelsea, but they're they're gonna he's probably gonna have them set up with a four three three template and two one or two holding midfielders and one more attacking midfielder and then three forwards and what they usually do is the three forwards play narrow so the full backs can run up the wing but normally just on one side and that's probably on Alonso's side that's the only thing about Alonso is I can't be sure that Emerson's not going to take his place it's just not I wouldn't be 100% sure who to pick there and I'd rather wait and see so yeah in Sari's tactics there's three or four main positions you're looking at in terms of FPL there's the attacking fullback, which is either Alonso or, or Emerson. And then there's uh, the top midfielder of the centre triangle, which is Fabregas, Barkley or Loftus-Cheek. And then there's the centre switching winger, which is going to be, I, I, it's got to be Hazard. Um, and then there's then there's a centre forward. And even the subject of the centre forward is is a subject in its own right, because I just can't see how Morata's going to get 90 minutes every game. He's just not the mould that the player like Mertens was. Um, who who only actually ever had one headed goal in the last four seasons, whereas Morata, as we know, is the headed goal specialist. And they have Giroud, Bashuai, and Abraham available to them. Yes, so nice, nice striking line that they've got. There, they're so. the pace strikers, you know. Um, so yeah, that leaves Willian and Pedro, who will likely take the more sort of conservative winger role, like Gallagher did at, at Napoli. Um, but he still managed a, about 12 goals and 11 assists average over the last couple of seasons. So that's why I think Pedro is a good shout. And um, I actually heard today, I think, William missed training, which sparked a few rumours. But um, we'll see about that. But yeah, it's a good reflection on, um, great reflection on Chelsea there. Loads of potential this season. Um, chaps, I'm aware we're getting quite deep into the pod, so I'm going to move us on. Um, Iceman, should we move on to fixtures? Yeah, yeah, just give a quick shout on uh, who do we think's got the best fixtures coming up and you know where to go with the teams to start with. Okay, so Mika, do you want to lead us off on that one? Yeah, sure. Um, teams with the best fixtures at the start, I was trying to do my own calculation about this and I would say that uh, if we think defensive-wise, uh, I would say Everton, Burnley and City ha- have the best fixtures at the start. City will play against Arsenal on game week one, but beyond that, their fixtures are really great. Uh, it's just really hard to pick a defender from City. Uh, you can go Ederson, of course, but like we talked about earlier, it's going to take the one spot. Other than that, <laughs> their defense line is really hard to predict at the start. If you think about the CBs, there's like Company, Stones, Laporte, Otamendi. I forget someone. Mm, probably no. But yeah, overall, City is really hard to cover. Uh, Burnley, on the other hand, is playing on a Europa League qualifier, so you can't really say how they will perform. Uh, that schedule at the start is already a bad thing. With those, uh, I have to say I, I will probably have one Everton Everton defender, at least, in my squad on game week one. They have Wolves, Southampton, Bournemouth, Huddersfield, and West Ham. Nice. That's a really yeah, great start from the start. Yeah, that's quite favourable. Yeah. Just, 
just on the uh, sorry, just on the city one. So, I mean, I've got Mendy in my team, and uh, he's looking to be their left wing back. And he started last season really, really well before he got injured, and everyone was like ready to join the Mendy bandwagon. But it was just the um, uh, the injury, and then having that threat of Sane coming back in and actually taking his place. What are your thoughts on actually him and his game time, Stato? I'll go to you. I don't know. I think he's played... Hasn't he played at left-back before? I think it's... What, Sane? Yeah, I think you can't really tell with Pep. He's obviously got the pace. He should have been taken to the World Cup. He's explosive. He can do you... A lot, he can give you a lot of goals and a lot of returns. But does that does that put Mendy's position at risk, do you reckon? Do you reckon he's, he's too risky to go for at the start of the season, Mendy? Possibly. Mika, what do you reckon? <laughs> uh... <laughs> I would say it totally depends on the tactical uh, aspects, what City is going to use. If they're going to play with 3-5-2, then Sané and Mendy, they are competing from that left left spot. Uh, Sané can also play uh, front, but I don't think he will go. He will play there. If they play 4-4-2, then uh, I don't think Mendy is a really good option. So uh, I, I don't really know. I think... Sané is nailed on to play somewhere on game week one because those uh, World Cup absentees, but I don't really know about Mendy. I really don't know. I, I wouldn't touch him myself. I think I am going there because I uh, just see his potential. I think that Pep believes in him and uh, he didn't play much of the World Cup. So I am taking the risk on that one because I, I think it's a small risk. I think they need Sane further up because obviously they're without Sterling and Mares has got a slight injury. He may be back from injury soon though. <clears throat> he may be back to play at the start of the season, but I, I just think Sane is needed further forward. So I think that Mendy kind of has to play to start with. But the problem was last season that Bob Pep didn't find a good spot for Sane. He tried to play him uh, front, didn't like him. He tried to play him the middle, didn't like him, and then he put him in the uh, on the wing instead of Mendy, and it worked pretty well. So really hard to say. Okay, well, let's um, bearing in mind the fixtures. Let's think about who tend to perform the best against who. Stato, as usual, has come up with some great data around this. You want to talk us through your your stats here? Yeah, sure. I looked at XG, so I looked at expected goals for all teams playing home and away, and the absolute optimal fixture is Arsenal at home to Brighton. Uh, since January, Arsenal had the highest XG at home of all Premier League teams, and Brighton had the worst record for conceding XG away. Um, the only problem is you can have to wait until game week 37 for that <laughs> fixture. <laughs> but if you take, if you do take the top teams at home, who are Arsenal, Liverpool, City and Tottenham, then you've got Liverpool, they've got Brighton in game week three, and they can absolutely tee off in theory. Then you've got City at home to Newcastle in game week four, and that, that's got carnage written all over it. Newcastle have got an atrocious defensive record away from home. And then Arsenal again um, at home to Everton in game week six. I mean, it's it's hard to know with Everton because they're in they're clearly in transition. Um, but that that again that could be a, that could be an absolute bloodbath. And I'd recommend that you have some Arsenal attacking coverage by then. And I think you probably will anyway because they've got such a good fixture run. I'm just going to follow that up with kind of the the teams which I did some research on, found out from Fantasy Football Scout uh, who took the most batterings last season. So when I say a battering, it's kind of a definition of where a team scores three or more goals past an opponent's 
opponent's defense. So it could could be like either three three or four three loss or something like that. Anyway, so the the most amount of goals scored against them actually West Ham they came top on that with fourteen batterings and that now wow. they've got Fabianski in goal that might actually uh, help his points. So again, another point to have him. Also, uh, Huddersfield, probably the worst team I've actually seen stay in the Premiership. No offence, Huddersfield fans. But um, they took eight batterings last season, joint with Everton. And they've not got uh, the easiest fixtures to start with. They've got Chelsea first game, which is why I'm kind of I'm in on the Pedro and Morata shout at the moment. And then they've got City second game. So two really tough games for them. So I can see some a lot of points in these first two. For those uh, two teams, Chelsea and Man City. Nice. Any thoughts on, on captains against those? I was just going to ask, sorry, uh, James, uh, is there any teams that had seven batterings by any chance? Uh, no, there's, there's, I think they were just Southampton and Bournemouth. Yeah. Oh, really? No, no, no Arsenal in there? Yeah, 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 Arsenal were in there as well. <laughs> yeah, Arsenal, Arsenal did get battered seven times last season. <laughs> but if you look at right at the bottom, and no surprise, Man United, no batterings whatsoever last season. So it just goes to show they do have a very uh, sturdy defence in Dahlia. Yeah, and that's why I think, you know, in due course, there will be some really good options on the Man United back line. It's just waiting to find out who's going to be there uh, after all the dust settled yeah. and Mourinho's stopped moaning. Can I just credit uh, Mike Harbro from uh, FF Scout? I took this from there. It's good, good stats from him. And uh, you've got some points on who not to captain against, haven't you? Oh, yes. So uh, he, he also put there, don't captain any players against Man United, Man City, Spurs and Burnley. Interesting. Okay, so steer clear of them on that in Captain Weeks. Unless it's Salah, of course. Hmm. Okay, um, before we move on, I think it's time for the first one of these of the season. The Iceman is going to take his piss break. Thank you very much. Welcome back, Iceman. Just back from his first piss break of the season. Speaking about just getting back, players coming back from the World Cup, how is that going to affect the start of the season? Let's go to Stato first. What do you, what do you think about this? Uh, well, generally speaking, there's so much turbulence in the FPL game because of the World Cup that unless some really decisive news comes out which actually there's plenty of time, let's face it, for that to happen before the start of the season. I'm predicting that there's going to be, I put my money on a lot of early wildcards this season just because a lot of good options of you know high-caliber players are going to come to the fore in the second and third game weeks. And you're going to take one look at your team and you're going to kind of think, shit, actually, I need to make a wholesale change here. Kane's back or you know, um, certain players are, are back in back in form, back World Cup. And I think that is how it's going to affect the, world, the the start of the season. I think there's going to be an early wild card because of it. Yeah, Mika, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. If we compare this uh, current situation to the situation what we had a couple of seasons ago, again, uh, 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 after Euro 2016, uh, I think there won't be as much rotation as people are thinking. Uh, this might shock somebody on Twitter, but... Uh, at the start of the season, of that season, 2016, uh, pretty much all the top teams used their best lineups without any big absentees. 
okay, this season is a, a, diff, a bit different in a sense that the transfer window shuts before the start of the game week one, when it used to go on a couple of weeks after the, the start of the season, but still. Luckily, we have that charity shield match that uh, from City, uh, for example, that we will... The, it will probably give, give us some clues about the teams. After the last Euros, all the big teams managed to squeeze the results on game week one as well. And there were pretty much no surprises on results. Uh, for me, that is a bit surprising, as I thought big players without preseason would do bad. But looking at that, that's not the case, unfortunately. Interesting. So it's actually counterintuitive to what we expect based on the history. Exactly. Yeah. Also, also, sorry, I was just going to say there's also, you know, there's two new managers for two of the top teams, you know, Chelsea and, and Arsenal, and nobody really knows, you know, how they're going to how they're gonna play. I mean, we've got a fair idea of what they used to do, and they're, they're presumably going to aim for that, but are they going to phase that in? You know, Emery and, and Sari, they're going to sort of introduce that slowly so that they don't shock the players too much. You know, I can imagine there's going to be a lot of mistakes defensively at Chelsea, because... The system's changing a lot. So again, I think that's another reason why there's a lot of sort of unsettling of in FPL because there's a lot of good players for those two teams that you might want, but you're kind of not sure about at the moment. Yeah, I, th- I do think I agree with that. It's like, it's like the Kolasinac thing. He's been starting most of the preseason games because Monreal's been away, but whether or not he will start the season, everyone wants to go for him because he's 5 million. But I do hear that Emery likes to rotate his fullback, so he might be another Potocino and uh, just change it up every so often. So... Uh, I'd be wary of that. You've got to kind of get to know these new managers. Also, even the likes of Silva going to Everton, I think that changes their dynamic slightly. Obviously, when Big Sam was managing them, they were more of a defensive team, whether or not they're going to be more of an attacking team now instead. So that will affect their clean sheets, etc. That could be a massive difference as well. So all these things, not only new managers with the World Cup, <clears throat> I do think it's going to affect it because as I mentioned with Kane, I think even if he, you know, he's going to start the first game, I just think he's just, he's not, he didn't play that well in the World Cup, to be honest. And, uh, he hasn't been playing well for a while since his injury. I don't think they're going to be fit enough. They're probably not going to be match fit either. So, uh, I just think every player which you know is coming back from the World Cup, especially if they've gone to the last four, are just going to be a risk. And I would stay away. Yeah. Tottenham got hit. You know, obviously, really badly by the World Cup, just because of the number of big players for the England team that they have. Yeah, and, and it, it um, could affect their whole team, can it? Like, it's not just. Yeah, well, I think towards the end of last season, they uh, something went funny after game week thirty. There was a big drop off in their expected goals, and they were conceding a lot more. And Harry Kane's shot rate dropped off a lot, especially for him. And I think the theory is he came back too soon after his ankle injury, and he he did actually say later on that it was still bothering him so yeah we'll see but I think I'm I'm happy to kind of keep a distance from, from Tottenham but I've definitely got my eye on Ben Davies I have to say that it would be so funny curveball if Kane would start banging goals from the start yeah, oh yeah, be typical, yeah. yeah there's, I mean there's no I tried to work it out because there's a lot of sort of daft conspiracy theories about why Kane doesn't score in August but there's no there's nothing that presents itself that's obvious to me he he was putting in plenty of shots, he was unlucky, and it, it just didn't happen yet again. It was kind of sod's law. Just don't know why it don't don't know why it happened. But the way he's priced, he's he's gonna have to he's gonna have to perform again this season. But I mean, 
he can do that. I mean, Spurs' stats have been rock solid for the past three seasons, and they've got they've now got even more players at peak age than they've had before, and they're not rebuilding like Chelsea and Arsenal are. So they don't, and they don't have any dodgy vibes like United. So arguably, you know, they shouldn't be written off. And I don't know if you have, if you guys have realized that uh, Kane ownership is all, uh, all already over thirty percent. I haven't seen any drafts on Twitter or in comedy sites about Kane, in, but still, he's over 30% owned. I suppose this is a case of the casuals, aren't they? they? They just see the points from last season. For example, Firmino, I don't know if he's back in training yet, but he's quite well owned as well. And uh, there are a few players like that, which people just kind of see their points from last season and, and get them in. Yeah. I do think the start of the season, we will be seeing a difference between managers which are engaged and the casuals quite a lot this season. It's going to be a really interesting game week one. And when I say engaged, I don't just mean engaged to a woman. Well, like you are. Like, like I'll get me. off the brain. Yeah. <laughs> Locked down. That's it now, James. Or engaged to Bye-bye. Is that it? Life dead? Life's gone. That's it, mate. Take it from me. Oh, nice. Look forward to it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I thought it was kids. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, kids, yeah, you can definitely sign off there. No, I'm only joking. No. <laughs> no, if we're talking about Tottenham, I think Ali and... I don't think that Ali and Ericsson debate is there for me anymore because Ali did still have a reasonable season but he just didn't it's just because he didn't deliver the 18 goals he scored the season before and that that was when he was pushing up alongside Kane but last season he was a bit deeper and that does explain why he had more assists last season because he was playing a more creative role especially when you look at some of the some of those stats uh, associated with that and so at nine million, I don't think he's going to be worth it because that sort of money you could have Sane. And so, yeah, I think Ericsson's probably the standout guy if you if you wanted someone from Tottenham. But um, that means you can't have a lot of other players, you know, from Liverpool and from City. So you got to uh, be selective. Yeah, I mean, look, you're looking at Tottenham. They've got so many players which are out: Trippier, Rose, Vertonghen, uh, Alderweireld, uh, yeah, Ali, Dembele. Son's going to be off to the Asian games. Yeah, Son, he'll play the first game, I think it is, but then he'll be off after that. Ericsson has been playing some pre-season. He's played a full 90 minutes uh, against Barcelona, which they drew 2-2 in. Uh, and he played the game before that. So he could be their, like, you know, that talisman type player, which a lot of play, a lot of FPL managers are kind of looking for, um, where he, could benefit from these players being out and he could be the one that shines. So that is a possibility. What are your thoughts on that, Mecca? Uh Spurs is a minefield at the moment for me. What about Ericsson uh, just specifically? Ericsson specifically. Uh, well, to be honest, at the start, he's the best asset from there, from their team. Overall, I haven't really owned him at any point because I was in the alley bandwagon. I was expecting so much out of him last season. But at the moment, Eriksen is looking the best. Uh, I think I haven't checked any expected goals or anything like that, but I think just from my eye tests, I think he has uh, outperformed and started shooting better than he used to. And he has got a lot better with his goal scoring. Nice, right, chaps. I think um, that's enough said on that topic uh, for now. I think that's a nice final point about about Spurs there from Mika. But we need to move on to social media questions, Iceman. So do you want to fire through those? Yeah, Candy. So we've got uh, some from Twitter and some from Slack here. I've always read, read one from Slack. So we'll go on here for Bitter and Stout. Uh, Mike at 
at Mike Jetski. He's in our Slack channel as well. He's put, he's put, all right, chaps, lately on the Twitter sphere has gone bonkers with the talk of five at the back and ostensibly uh, with premium defenders. What madness is this? So, uh, Stato, we'll go to you first on this one. What's your thoughts on the five at the back and uh, with the premium I, defenders? I don't know at the moment if you could pick out that many premium defenders. I mean, you, you probably can with Liverpool. Um, but with the other teams, you you just have to wait and see. I think there's no chance, no point in trying to second guess what's going to happen. I think you're better off waiting to see which ones emerge. Ben Davies for me is definitely going to be one to look out for. He's he's reliable. Pochettino I think puts him ahead of Danny Rose and pecking order. Danny Rose is possibly leaving, and at six million, I think he's still a very good price. And against last season points and minutes, he's about fourth on my value for money rankings. So I don't see a reason why Spurs can't get more than 16 clean sheets, um, especially when you consider how settled Sanchez and Vertonghen are now in the centre of defence. Since Alderweireld got injured, Sanchez kind of made it his his spot. And I think I think they're actually, they're really settled now. As I was saying earlier, I think they're reliable and they're, they're not going through any transition like some of the other big teams. I just think that people have way too much time to tinker at the moment and they're trying different variations. I would be really surprised if uh, five at the back would turn in the profitable tactic at the start of the season. Yeah, I, I do wonder how many people are looking at Alonso now. Obviously, with Sarri, he's going to play with that four at the back. Obviously, Alonso, he got almost double more attempts on goal than any other defender in the game with 65. So he's always going to show how good he is. And he's actually got a price drop. He's 6.5. I wouldn't go near him to start with because I, I feel like you need to find out what's going on uh, with the manager and how the team's going to play. But yeah, like you say, you've got to kind of sit and wait and then see which premium defenders are actually worth going for because uh, it's quite a lot of cash to to dip in. It's a bit of a risk. Yeah, from what I've read, Aspilicueta, he was a you know he was huge last year. I think he's going to end up as centre back. So I don't see him being quite the sort of prospect that he was last season so I personally I'm writing him off at the moment yeah I think ever since uh, seeing Chelsea drop to the uh, the four at the back it's made Alonso a lot less favourable for me because I'm not convinced of him as a from a defensive perspective I think Aspilicueta will be a, a better option if you were going for a Chelsea defender but uh, we, we talked a bit about five at the back last season when we had the uh, the outbreak of teams playing 3-5-2 and if it wasn't going to be an option then I don't think it is going to be now because Teams like Arsenal, they've dropped back to four at the back. Potentially Chelsea. I don't know how long Tottenham will adopt three five two. So I think the the uh, the year of the attacking wing back has potentially gone. And I think you're better served putting your money into midfield and strikers this year. Okay, fair. I do think there is a gem uh, in the Chelsea team in terms of David Luiz. I think that he could be. Uh, yeah, a pretty good option to go for uh, next year but again it's a wait and see see if he starts etc so uh, he's started the last two pre-seasons for Chelsea okay moving on to the next question so we've got one here from FPL Can. he's saying are you building your FPL team for the short term and maybe planning to wildcard after game week 4 and is pre-season form a bigger factor than fixtures when drafting uh, Bully you, you can go first on this one are you planning your, your wild card at the moment? I'm not, no, because I want to see what happens, like I said, with the people coming back from the from the World Cup. I've picked players that I generally want to stick with over at least the first five weeks looking at the fixtures. 
So I, I don't think you can go on pre-season form because these these international cup tournaments and you know United in America, Jose's done the uh, old killing the PR campaign by coming out and saying I wouldn't bother paying to watch this, which is very bizarre. But I don't think you can go on pre-season form. The the, the teams that they're lining up against, for example, Arsenal. Uh, beat PSG, drew of Atleti, but those teams are a mile away from their starting lineup. So I, I am looking more at the, the fixtures than I am pre-season form, definitely. Yeah, and I, I do think with uh, if you're planning your wildcard, it is a dangerous tactic because uh, obviously these all these players have got to come back from the World Cup. You've then got to wait for them to hit form, so... Who knows how long that's going to take for all the teams to start playing well and everything get flowing. So it's a dangerous tactic to kind of uh, have a particular week which you do it. Obviously, you can kind of look in the future and think, oh, maybe I'll use it there for around because I think the international break is around game week four. But yeah, I agree with you on the fixtures there. Any thoughts from you guys? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's wise, uh, FBL wise, to lock yourself in any certain tactic. Uh, all of those. I'm going to plan two free uh, transfers ahead or transfers ahead, or I'm going to play wildcard in this game week or stuff like that. It's, it's dangerous mindset. You can easily fall into that trap. You might miss form players or stuff like that because of that. Yeah, static. I think, yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think if you can, if you can do it, then do not make a transfer for game week two, because to have two free transfers the next week is such a, you know, it's such a powerful thing strategically because you can, well, you can take a hit, you can make a kind of mini wildcard, as they call it, you can make three transfers and you can really shift your team around and take advantage of more price rises, which are much more volatile early on. Yeah, fair. Okay. Uh, so we've got a next question here from FF247, who are going to be collaborating with us this year and hopefully putting some of our content on their website, which is Fantasy Football. 247 in numbers so fantasy football and then the numbers 247.co.uk see some great articles on there they've got one recently on uh, Richardson and uh, James Madison which I found quite interesting today so they've got a question here saying the members on their site have been debating which three Liverpool players to start with so guys go go for a choice here A. Robertson, Keita and Salah B. Robertson, Salah and Firmino C. Robertson, Mane and Salah or D. Some other combo was wondering if you guys could help with that a bit or just confuse matters more the latter will be great so uh, in, Mika I'm going to go to you first on this one what are your thoughts on the uh, the three Liverpool players are you, are you going full in on three or are you just going to go with two yeah Personally, I'm not gonna own three at the start, but if I have to choose out of those uh, those options, uh, Salah, of course, is a must. His ownership, explosiveness, all that kind of stuff. Everybody knows Salah. He's a must. Then I'm a bit, big advocate of uh, Virgil Van Dijk, to be honest. So I would I would pick D out of those options and go Salah, Van Dijk, and probably Firmino or Mane, depending on how the other players from those brackets are firing. Meets nine mils and forwards nine mils. Okay, but fair. I just think Virgil Van Dijk will outscore Robertson this season. Okay, good shout. So, uh, Billy, what are your thoughts on that one? Um, so, Salah, I uh, made the mistake of not picking him some game weeks last year, and um, and was affected quite badly for that. He looked good at the end of the season. He looked good in the World Cup. I don't think his form is going to falter, and he's got even better players around him now with the likes of Firmino, uh, Firmino, Fabino. And Kater. So Salah is one. 
I think Robertson is absolutely class as a fullback and will start the season, hence no World Cup. And this isn't in my team, by the way. This is if I'm picking three. Uh, but I'm going to be a bit controversial and say Allison in goal because I think at 5.5 and their potential for cleanies, he would be a good differential of people going with other options. Your first starting? Yeah, I I heard some rumours about Klein and Robertson, and it got me gave me the jitters with regards to playing Robertson. But I I think he's probably nailed on. But I'd also echo what. Mika said about Virgil van Dijk. I think he's a brilliant pick. I think he was actually really unlucky last season not to convert a few chances coming up for corners. So, yeah, I go for D. So I go for Virgil van Dijk, Salah, and possibly Firmino. At the moment, he's not in my team, but it's very risky to ignore somebody who is already, what is he, uh, 36% owned as of today. You can ignore him if you like, but Liverpool will most likely come out firing and start bagging in the goals. And yeah, you could suffer if you don't have him. Yeah, I agree with that. The thing with uh, Virgil van Dijk, he did actually get quite a few attempts last season. 27 overall, which is ninth out of all the defenders. So it just shows he is above quite a few there. I mean, uh, Robertson is nowhere near that mark on attempts, but he's always one for the assist. But for me, it would be Robertson. I just think he, he ended the season awesome. He, he did get the goal in the end. And uh, Salah, and I would go Mane if I was going for a third. I'm not on three at the moment, just because I feel like you should probably use that man, Mane money to uh, to buy some City assets. But those would be my three. Okay, well, can, I just, um, can I just interject quickly? For the first time of the season, are you saying he's due? <laughs> Who? Van Dyke. Van Dyke. Yeah, Van Dyke is definitely due, yeah. Excellent. Had to get that in there in the first episode. So, yeah, moving on to uh, Hawksrug. Here's got uh, a question here just saying uh, City mids, worth the rotation risk or just avoid and get nailed guys like Mane slash Ericsson? What are your thoughts on the City mids? I think this is more of a case of last season where they're going to score big points, these City mids. And if they do get rotated, for example, Salah, I think, uh, Salah, for example, Sane, I think is the most nailed, but he will get rotated eventually. But I just think the points which you can get from him are just too much not to have. So I do think it's going to be a case of that this season. Any thoughts on that, boys? Yeah, I, I think. I just think if if Aguero is going to start, I think he's very hard to ignore. He's still top dog when it comes to XG per minute, um, even above Salah last year. Um, he's still got it, and he's always that sort of guy. He could explode any minute. And I, although he he was getting some reduced minutes, I still think the returns are there potentially. Yeah. Well. If City keeps smashing goals like they did last season, you have to get involved somehow. I, I, I'm a bit worried about Aguero, to be honest, because Pep obviously likes uh, Jesus a lot. Now, I think he's the first choice, first choice attacker. But personally, if I would lean towards uh, somebody, I would have to say the most nailed ones this season. I'm going to play my risk management game style again. Uh, I would say uh, I would be giving the Bruyne or Silva, probably. Yeah, De Bruyne is probably not going to start the season, do you reckon? Yeah, unfortunately, no, but yeah. overall, over the season. Sound like Mika's just drowned. <laughs> I was just uh, pouring my drink. Bully, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at De Bruyne as someone that's nailed. And, again, it comes back to the World Cup, doesn't it? But um, I think as soon as he's playing regularly, De Bruyne is a pretty safe one to go for. 
Salah as well. Um, I think if Ramsey starts playing for Arsenal, he'd be one to, to keep your eye on. He's certainly never to be underpriced as usual. So keep your eye on up for him. He, he's not a city mid, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I thought we were talking. <laughs> no, so, no, that's, that's fair. I mean, I suppose that brings in Ramsey into the conversation. Sato, I know you're a big fan of him. I had him in my team because I'd read reports about Emery's comments about Ramsey saying how he was going to build the team around him and he was hoping that Ramsey would, would be the team captain. Um, and it was only today, actually, when I was looking into Arsenal in more detail for the pod, that when you look at Emery's tactics, it's, it's actually yeah. hard to see where Ramsey's going to fit in because, well, up front you can have probably Lacazette in the middle, Aubameyang and um, Mkhitaryan on the right. And then what he likes to do in midfield is uh, where you have one of the midfielders dropping back to be an effective centre-back during possession. And then the two full-backs ride up the flanks. And it's kind of hard to see. There's no player I can see in Emery's, certainly Emery's past at PSG, like a Ramsey kind of player. That doesn't mean to say he can't, kind of adapt to Arsenal as well as make Arsenal adapt to him if you know what I mean um, but certainly when you look at PSG Draxler and Pastor um, they were kind of centre mids they, they didn't they didn't get above four or five goals on any season so yeah we're, we're going to have to see but that was four or five goals for seven and a half million that's kind of Sigurdsson last year and that really didn't set the world alight yeah yeah I mean he didn't score many last season either did he Ramsey he got four in the end was it oh he got he got seven in the end but which I suppose it isn't that bad returns, but for 7.5, maybe you're wanting more. That moves us towards the Arsenal players, because if we're looking at the uh, the bracket for kind of the premium strikers, a lot of people are going Aubameyang, and I was very much on him for a while. But watching Arsenal, he does play out left. It doesn't kind of affect his points going forward, because he, he does still get in the box and he still gets loads of chances. But I just think with Lacazette, playing in the middle, 9.5, I think that 1.5 can go quite a lot elsewhere. And I do think that the points could be spread between those two. I can't see Aubameyang scoring that many more points than Lacazette. So I am actually on Lacazette at the moment. What what are your guys' thoughts on that? Any opinions? I have to say, I I love that uh, question about City means turn it into an Arsenal discussion. (laughs) We're Arsenal uh, fans on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, about, like I said, Aubameyang. Uh, personally, uh, I don't know if Aubameyang is going to play on the uh, left or right wing. I, I can't remember which one, but on the wing anyways. Uh, I don't think he will justify the 11 uh, price tag. He has penalties, probably, okay. But still, uh, his best stats is when he plays centre-forward and... When he has played on the wings, he hasn't scored that many goals in previous seasons. So I'm pretty torn up with those guys. I'm, I don't know. Uh, at the moment, I'm leaning towards, like I said, if he can nail the center forward spot. If Aubameyang will play in the center forward, then I will definitely get Aubameyang. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure he played on the right at Dortmund. And he was putting in, he had a 31 goal season in 2016 17. Uh, he had a uh, 25 goal season the season before that. I have to say, uh, that season he played centre forward. Oh, he did? Oh, okay, yeah. fair enough. Well, I've noticed that Emery likes, he lets the wing backs go up, go up the flanks. So if anything, that's going to allow Aubameyang to drift in. 
but yeah, like you say, you can't you can't really tell yet what the spread's going to be. Is Lacazette going to get the lion's share of the points, or is it going to be sort of split between them? Who knows? I suppose looking at the goals in the last six games played in 2017-2018, Lacazette is at the top with five, with Aguero, uh, Kane and Zaha, and Aubameyang's on four. So, like I say, I think the the points are going to be spread between those two, and I don't think that the 1.5 is, is worth it. I think that Lacazette, there could be a fair amount of points for him. Okay, move, uh, moving on to the next question. So I suppose we'll just finish it up here on uh, FPL top bins. I was just put which Chelsea players to go for. I think we kind of mentioned that one, the best to go for. So yeah, I think that's it for social media for this particular podcast. We've kind of overrun, so sorry if we've missed your question. If you uh, send it in next week, we'll definitely try to answer it. Excellent. Yeah, thanks very much for your questions. Once again, we'll always endeavour to answer where we can, unless we are going a lot over, like this week. Okay, so just the final feature for this pod. We've just got a mini feature to finish, so predictions for the highest scoring players in each position. Very simple, goalkeeper through to forward. I'm going to go around all of the surgeons and see who they would shout. So let's start with the goalkeepers. Stato coming to you first. Who's going to score the most points in goal this season? I'm going to go for Alisson for Liverpool. Alisson. Mika? Fabianski. Fabianski. I'm going to shout Alisson as well. I really fancy him to, to have a good season. And Iceman? I'm going to go for Edison. Nice. Okay. Okay, the other Brazilian. Defenders then, chaps. Let's go round again. So Stato? I'm going for Ben Davies. I think he's nailed and he's attacking and it's a solid defence. Okay. Mika? I'm going to back my man, Virgil van Dijk, on this one. Virgil, I'm going to say Azpilicueta. I think um, Chelsea are going to sort their defence out. Iceman? And I think I'm actually going to go for Valencia. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's uh, got a slight calf injury at the moment, so I'm a bit... Uh, <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, <laughs> not in the luck. But I reckon that uh, Man United is still going to keep a, a strong back line there. Yeah, let me play about a third of the games, but that's fine. doesn't matter. Um, okay, so let's get to midfield. Now I'm going to change the rotation to make it really interesting. So, Iceman, I'm coming back to you. I'm going to go for Salah. <laughs> That's the easiest, mm. obvious answer. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to go for... I don't know if he's going to stay at... Che- if he's going to stay at for Chelsea, I'm going to uh, shout the resurgence of Eden Hazard. <laughs> He's, uh, he tends to have a good season every other, and this is the one. So a resurgent even has that. Mika? I'm going to shout something completely out of uh, outside of the box. I'm going to say Leroy Sané is going to have a, a fucking quest <laughs> this season. Wow. <laughs> and not much more convincing than that. And Stato, can you, look, can you follow that? I'm going to be really boring, go for the obvious one, Maitland-Niles. <laughs> no, just kidding, Salah. Definitely Salah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we can, we can extend the podcast for another hour talking about Maitland Niles. But I don't think we, we can't because I've got nothing to say about him. No, the, the Arsenal fans, I'm sure, will find. Uh, oh, God, no. <laughs> uh, let's go forwards then. So, finally, um, Iceman. Um, Kane. <laughs> it's boring, isn't it? It really is. Stato? Aubameyang, definitely. Nice. Oh, yeah, it's probably a better shot. Mika? Uh, it's been Kane and Obama Yang, but I'm going to be uh, dullard on this one. I'm going to say Kane as well. Fair enough. I'm going to go for Lukaku. Ooh. Ooh. Whoa. Expecting that way. Wow, wow, we were. <laughs> that's just, that's <laughs> just silly. 
Yeah. As you guys are backing Man United guys when Mourinho is having the third season. <laughs> he is actually, yeah. It's true. It's true. Can I take back my Valencia one now? No, you can't. That's the end of the feature. It's the end of the feature. Um, and the end of the podcast as we're pushing on for time. Um, so I want to thank our illustrious guests once again. So Mika. Yeah, no worries. Uh, what's a pleasure. Brilliant to have you on board again. Stato. Pleasure, guys. Up the pod. Thanks for having me on. Up the pod. Brilliant stats again from you. Iceman, any, any words of wisdom for the upcoming season? There is never any words of wisdom from me. No. Okay. That's a good word of wisdom. Zero wisdom. Would you advise getting engaged? <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, it costs a lot yes. of money. Yeah, it gets pricey. Yeah. Um, I'm going to move us on. Now, before I say our final goodbye, there's a new feature on the podcast this season, and that is, of course, the much-anticipated Sexy Thoughts Iceman. Sexy Thoughts from FPL Sexy for this week and the start of the season is that time is amongst us again. FPL Madness has taken hold of us all. Remember to try and enjoy the silly game that we play, as it will be week 38 before we know it. Enjoy this wonderful community. Also, remember what someone once said. If your dad doesn't have a beard, you've got two mums. Brilliant. Absolute gold. (laughs) Absolutely superb. That's great there from uh, Brett, uh, FPL Sexy. Motivation for the season. Um, Lots to be learned from that. Looking forward for more pearls of wisdom from from the FPL Sexy for the rest of the podcasts. Uh, Iceman, can I finish the pod now? Yeah, yeah, finish this up, yeah. Thanks very much. No, um, looking forward to speaking to you for the rest of the season, listeners. Thanks for tuning in once again. Um, if you want to find out more about the fancy football surgery, go to www.fancyfootballsurgery.com. Right. So yeah, we're, we're everywhere on the internet. Um, you can find us on Facebook and and Twitter, and and uh, download us on iTunes and SoundCloud. We're on Patreon as well. Uh, and join our mini league. It's two two five dash three six nine. And please leave us some feedback so that we can uh, read it out on the podcast. Yeah, it's been it's uh, been great. Uh, last season was great with all the listeners. And if you could just do us a massive favour and then just go give us an iTunes review, that will be that we'll really appreciate. We we'll appreciate any feedback possible. That's great from uh, any listeners that want to get involved. Yeah, always much appreciated. But for now, it's come to an end. So good luck with selecting your teams for game week one. The first time this season, it's up the pod. Retro music. Those are, those are There's podcasts up the pod.